Hi, this is Sean Fenske, Editor-in-Chief of Medical Product Outsourcing, and I'm back to start the new year with another episode of Mike on MedTech. Joining me as always, Mike Drews, President of Vascular Sciences. Hope you had a great new year. How are you doing today, Mike? I'm well, thank you, Sean, and Happy New Year to you and, and everybody in our audience as well. Great. So uh, one topic that uh, has come up in a few of our discussions uh, that's personalized healthcare. We figured we'd, you know, we'd take a crack at, at isolating that on its own, kind of discussing exactly what it is, what we're referring to, um, and how it's making an impact on the medical device uh, segment. So, uh, Mike, just to get us started as a starting point, why don't you uh, let us know, with regard to the medical device industry, what is personalized medicine? It's a great uh, question, Sean, and thanks for the opportunity to discuss this with you and your audience. Um, let's start out with uh, a, 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 one source that uh, some people might not be considered uh, too reputable, and that is Wikipedia. But Wikipedia says that personalized medicine basically separates people into different groups with medical decisions, practices, interventions, and products being tailored to the individual patient based on their predicted response or risk of disease. And I think that's a pretty good place to start of answering the question of what is personalized medicine because when you think about it, Sean, most medical treatments are designed for the average patient, for the average right. person. In other words, taking the one-size-fits-all kind of an approach. And we've been doing this in medicine for decades, really centuries, for medical devices as well as drugs. The result is that some products might be successful in some patients, but for other patients, not so much. And for a third set of patients, those medical devices or drugs could be flat-out dangerous. So right. personalized medicine, whether we're talking about drugs or devices, the, the idea really is to tailor the diagnosis or the treatment to take into account the individual differences, whether it's the patient's genomic differences, environmental differences, what have you. It's, you know, when you think about it, Sean, it's really it's the antithesis of the blockbuster model where a medical device company will make one medical device and sell it to you know, hundreds of thousands or millions of people, or a drug company will make one pill and sell it to hundreds of thousands or millions of people. The, the idea of personalized medicine is the, is the opposite, is the antithesis of that. And I know, Sean, primarily our audience is the, the medical device industry, but just to give everybody an understanding of the, the fact that this is not nearly as far off as a lot of people think, um, on the drug side of the world, over 30% of new drug approvals last year in 2017, I guess I should say two years ago now, were personalized medicine. So a third of the products coming onto the market in the drug side now are, uh, are, are in the area of personalized medicine. So the short answer to your question of what is personalized medicine, I'll share with you and your audience, Sean, my definition of personalized medicine, and that is to be able to design and or manufacture a medical product, whether it's a device, whether it's a drug, whether it's a combination product, what have you, uh, design uh, and manufacture a medical product specifically for an individual patient. In other words, getting away from that one-size-fits-all kind of an approach. Does that make sense, Sean? Absolutely. I think that's a fantastic overview. Um, now, now, the one phrase I didn't hear in that description that's, I think, most often associated with uh, personalized medicine, at least in the, in the 
medical device space, people think about is additive manufacturing. Obviously, the ability there to scale things to, uh, you know, customer, or I'm sorry, patient uh, imaging scans and, you know, really get something that fits a specific patient. But what other example, you know, is there of, of uh, personalized medicine? Well, it's a great question, Sean. So additive manufacturing, or what uh, we often refer to as 3D printing, is certainly a classic example of personalized medicine of medical devices, but there are others. Uh, probably my other favorite example is an area called companion diagnostics. Um, companion diagnostics, for those in the audience who are not familiar with the phrase, it's a subset of in vitro diagnostics or IVDs. In fact, it's one of the fastest growing segments of the medical device industry. Um, in 2017, here's just some quick economic statistics for you. The global companion diagnostic market was estimated to be about $2.5 billion. But right. in just a couple of years from now, uh, by 2022, the global companion diagnostic market is estimated to be about $6.5 billion. Wow. So that's a uh, um, growth rate of more than 20% per year. That's a very significant growth rate. Now, right. for those that are not familiar with the technology, let me explain it very, very quickly, and we can talk about this uh, by itself in a, in a different podcast, Sean. But here's the idea. Why do we have to wait for a patient to swallow a pill before um, that we find out if that pill is going to work inside of them? In other words, I want to know to a very high degree of certainty, maybe not 100%, but, uh, but as high as I can, whether that pill is going to work in the patient before they swallow it, because if it's not going to work in them, then I'm not going to give them that pill, or I'm going to give them something else instead. So the idea of companion diagnostics, again, it's a medical device. Uh, technically, it's a combination product, but, but nonetheless, it's a medical device um, that allows us to determine to a pretty high degree of certainty whether or not a particular pill is going to work in a patient before we give it to them. So that's probably uh, the other best-known example of personalized medicine on the medical device side of the world, uh, along with 3D printing. And when we start looking at the increasing uh, drug prices and pharmaceutical prices, uh, that certainly sounds like it would be a very valuable tool for doctors to have rather than, you know, prescribing a very expensive pharmaceutical that ultimately has, you know, minimal uh, efficiency for, for a specific patient. That's an excellent point, Sean. As a matter of fact, not to turn this into too much of a drug conversation, although companion diagnostics is a great example of the intersection between medical devices and drugs. But here's another statistic for you and your audience from the drug side of the world that might not, uh, you know, might, might be surprising to some people, and that is the average efficacy rate for drugs across the board is only about 20 to 40 percent. I'll say that one more time. The average efficacy rate for drugs across the board is 20 to 40%. So bottom line, uh, more often than not, when a patient swallows a pill, it's either not helping them or in some cases it's even harming them. So, uh, yeah, you're exactly right. There's a lot of money wasted on pills that don't do any good. Yeah, that's an amazing percentage. Um, all right, so we'll... we'll get back to the device side of things, although I agree with you about combination products, and that's definitely a growing area, but we'll stick to, stick to the devices for now. Uh, 
for the uh, few devices that have been, you know, personalized that are, are being used for an individual, how has the FDA handled the approval process? Um, and just to, just to give you an example, one area that I, I think of is, is the 3D printed tracheas that have been used for infants. I know there's been a few stories uh, of those cases where a 3D printed trachea is, is personalized to a specific infant uh, for a, a certain type of breathing disorder, and uh, they're able to repair the, the problem or repair the defect uh, and, and, you know, that's how is that approval process handled? Well, the 3D printed trachea is a great example, and I was actually involved with one of these technologies a few years ago. But taking a slightly broader approach, there are now over 100 medical devices that are on the market here in the United States that is, have gone through the FDA that are 3D printed. In the interest of full disclosure, I've had my fingers in a number of them. Um, but fundamentally, the approval process is exactly the same, whether we're talking about personalized medicine or not, whether we're talking about 3D printing or not. In other words, the pathway options that we choose from, whether it's a 510K, de novo, PMA, HDE, uh, CDE, and so on, the pathway options are going to be contingent on the class of the device. In other words, is it class one, class two, or class three? It's going to be contingent on risk. It's going to be contingent on whether the product is substantially equivalent or basically the same as another device already on the market. In other words, uh, there's nothing unique here about the personalized medicine or 3D printing process. In fact, as we'll talk about, 3D printing is nothing more than in a different manufacturing method to produce existing medical devices. So of those 100 plus medical devices that are on the market here in the U.S. Uh, that are 3D printed, most of them have been brought onto the market under the 510K, um, and I've been successful in doing this a number of times myself. Um, but that should be no surprise to anybody because the vast majority of medical devices on the market in the United States are brought onto the market as a 510K, right? So the, the pathway options are exactly the same. It's just that the 3D printing represents a, uh, a difference in the manufacturing process. Now, to dig into that a little bit further, Sean, one thing that's interesting is that FDA does not regulate manufacturing processes, at least not directly. Um, uh, in other words, when you're making a medical device, you have to get either a clearance or an approval on the device, but you do not get clearance or approval on the manufacturing method that you're, that you're using to make it. In other words, if it's, if it's injection molded or, or you know, something like that. And so indirectly, FDA will regulate manufacturing processes, but there's no approval or clearance on the manufacturing process itself. Now, with 3D printing, that may change in the future, and there has been some discussion both in as well as out of FDA about regulating the 3D printing process, but nothing definitive has come out of that, at least not yet. Does that make sense, Sean? Yeah, I think that's, uh, that's a good explanation uh, for, for that aspect. Um, so 
that takes me to asking uh, about the the challenges. So if the process is is basically the same, what are the challenges that uh, a company might encounter in pursuing uh, personalized medicine given the current regulatory environment uh, as it relates to uh, you know putting a a finished device on the market? So it's a good question, Sean. There are a number of challenges uh, on the regulatory side. One of them is the clinical trial dilemma that personalized medicine presents. In other words, if we go back to the traditional one-size-fits-all or blockbuster model approach, if we're making a medical device that's going to be used for hundreds of thousands or millions of people, it probably makes sense to do a clinical trial of a few dozen or a few hundred people to show that it's safe and effective. On the other hand, when we're talking about personalized medicine, when, we're, when our intended patient population is one person, in other words, we're making one device for one person, or alternatively, we're making one drug for one person. How do we do a clinical trial for an N equal one? How do we do a clinical trial for one patient? Is it possible to do a clinical trial for one patient? Well, right. I believe that there's a solution to every problem, including this one, <laughs> and the solution is to get people to think not simply to follow regulation blindly, but to get people to think. So as an engineer, Sean, when I look at a clinical trial, I see nothing more than a validation. And for those in the audience that know something about validations, and I know a lot of the engineers, they should know about validations, there's two ways you can do a validation. One way is you can validate the product. And the way we have been doing clinical trials for decades is we validate the product, um, the device or the drug. But the other way that we can do a validation is we validate the process. And that, I think, is the solution to the clinical trial enigma that personalized medicine poses when it comes to 3D printing, and that is we have to validate the process. In other words, simply put, we have to be able to show to a, to a reasonable degree of certainty that the parameters that are input into the device, we want to make a device of this particular size, of this particular characteristics, and this particular shape, we have to be able to show that regardless of what those parameters are that are put into the machine by the physician or whoever, uh, out the other end of the machine comes that particular product. So that's one, one um, challenge that personalized medicine provides, uh, poses. Another challenge is back to the regulatory pathway. I mentioned a moment ago that at least for now, we have no unique, no special regulatory pathway for personalized medicine, whether we're talking about devices or drugs. Um, you could use a 510K, you can use a PMA, you can use a de novo, what have you. As a matter of fact, FDA has come out um, in their uh, last 3D printing guidance basically saying to industry, you should not use the custom device exemption or CDE for 3D printed devices. With all due respect to my many friends at FDA, I strongly disagree. I think the CDE is the, is the best option that we have at the moment for 3D printed devices, but it is, let me be clear, Sean, it's by no means perfect. I don't think that the CDE is, uh, is, is, is a perfect option. I really think that we need a new pathway 
for uh, personalized uh, medicine as we're talking about here. We have had some discussions at FDA about this over the years. Um, as you and your audience probably know, I work as a consultant for the FDA as well as uh, companies. So I see a lot of these issues from both sides. Unfortunately, Sean, it's taking a very, very long time. And simply put, most companies, certainly the companies that I work with, they don't want to wait around for years or even longer for Congress or the FDA to create a new pathway. So the challenge that we all face right now, Sean, is how do we use these existing pathways like the 510K? And let's be honest, it was the 510K and the PMA was never in a million years designed or intended for personal devices. How do we adopt them to get these personalized devices on the market? That's what we've been doing to this point. You know, I, I think what we're going to have to work on in 2019 is a reference website page of Mike Drew's idioms for these <laughs> podcasts. Because basically, for those, for those who, who, who didn't want to listen to all of that, I have one Mike, Mike Drew's idiom to sum up everything you just said, and that is don't just check the box because that sums up everything you just you just went over in extensive and, and much more effectively than than just simply saying that. But that's what it boils down to to me. Well, that's very kind of you to say, Sean. I appreciate that. And it also illustrates why you're the editor because you're much better <laughs> at saying something in far fewer words than I am. <laughs> but I'm sure I'm sure there's a lot more value in, in, in what you provided. So uh Let's, uh, let's get on to the, to the next question on this topic, and that is, what is the impact on the manufacturing side with regard to regulating protocols involved with the development of personalized medicine technologies such as additive manufacturing or 3D printing? So it's another great question, Sean, and it amazes me how many people think this is really more complicated than, quite frankly, that it is. Let me just reiterate that 3D printing is nothing more than another manufacturing process. And as we've talked about already, FDA does not regulate manufacturing processes, at least not directly. Perhaps that might change in the future. But bottom line, what it comes down to is we're talking about the fundamentals of quality here, Sean. And... Uh, the fundamentals of quality include things like consistency and reliability, uh, making sure that we manufacture products without contaminants, making sure that we have uh, sterility and so on. So all of these what I call fundamentals of quality um, are exactly the same regardless of the manufacturing method that you're using, whether it's 3D printing or injection molding or, um, or, or, or something else. And the um, not just quality, but the design control ideas are exactly the same. In fact, Sean, the, uh, you know, the design control guidance came out uh, back in 1997, uh, perhaps when, uh, you know, be before even some in our audience were even born. Um, and the, uh, everything that in, that's in there still applies today. So when you try to understand the, the intent of the regulation, not just what the regulation says in a literal sense, but the intent, whether we're talking about manufacturing techniques that have been around for, for decades or centuries or newer manufacturing techniques like 3D printing today, the fundamentals are the same. Now, of course, some modifications in the quality systems do need to be considered. For example, when you're making one medical device for one patient, how do you handle complaints? How do you handle 
CAPAs, corrective actions and preventative actions. In my opinion, and I've worked with a number of organizations doing this, that the traditional approaches to quality here really do break down because if you're making one device for one patient and there's a, there's a, a problem, you might not be aware of it uh, by simple passive reporting. In other words, the company might need to, to take an active effort to go out and make sure that that one device and that one patient is, is working. But bottom line, most of the principles of, the fundam of, the, of quality uh, and design controls are the same. Some modifications might need to be made, but, uh, but overall there's more similarities than differences. And the last point that I'd like to make very quickly, Sean, it's a very interesting question, not what the manufacturing method is, but who does the manufacturing and where the manufacturing is done. In other words, uh, if the 3D printing is being done in a traditional medical device company, then FDA will clearly be regulating it, at least in an indirect way. However, more and more now the 3D printing of devices is being done um, at the point of care, uh, in the hospital, in the uh, exam room, in some cases even in the operating room where the device is going to be implanted. So imagine this not-so-hypothetical scenario, Sean. You're doing a surgery. The physician prints a device, an implant, for example, in the same room, takes it out of the machine and implants it in the same uh, patient all you know, within the matter of minutes. That's not Star trek -y. We have the technology to, to start doing some of that right now. But the question is, how is that going to be regulated or if FDA can even regulate that because one could easily argue that's the practice of medicine. Um, those are all issues that we're still sort of uh, struggling with to figure out. Yeah, and that, and that topic uh, or that question specifically goes back to uh, a very recent uh, podcast discussion we had, which was the, uh, you know, regulating the practice of medicine. Um, and that, that I believe that was the title of the podcast. Uh, but that ties in directly with that exact question. And, you know, if manufacturing is done in the hospital or even in the OR by the, by the doctor, is that the practice of medicine? Is that, you know, a manufacturing process? Does the FDA need to get involved? So that was, uh, and I think that you know, those two are very, this, this podcast and that one are very complementary to each other. I agree. Um, all right. Well, unfortunately, that's all the time we have for this, uh, this episode of Mike on MedTech. I'd like to thank you, as always, for joining us and listening to, the, uh, to our discussion on this topic. Uh, we'll be back again for another episode in a, in a few weeks and hope you can join us then. Until then, this is Sean Fenske for Medical Product Outsourcing saying goodbye. <laughs>